Good morning, folks, and welcome to Season 1, Episode 5 of the Talks with Templar podcast, presented by Templar Security Specialists and our parent company, Templar Strategic Solutions, here in Roan County, West Virginia. Now, folks, as we've said in every episode, the primary goal behind our podcast is to help you, the consumer public, understand better the public safety and private security industry as a whole. Now, of course, we do talk about the things that Templar does differently than other companies or the things that make us stand out. But we do that because we want you to see that there are companies out there, folks, that actually care about doing the job the right way. Now, guys, here's the thing. Every day, I review the headlines. I watch the market in multiple states when it comes to the private security industry because that is our field of expertise. We are a security consulting and guard firm here in the great state of West Virginia. Now, the first thing I want to hit on is with those headlines, I am seeing an ever-increasing number of situations with contract security, in-house security, security personnel overall, as well as even law enforcement personnel, regrettably, where use of force becomes a reality. Now, when you look at private security, obviously, in-house may stand a higher chance of violent encounters when it comes to certain types of in-house security like bouncers, bar security, nightclub security, special event security occasionally do run into it when they work in-house and believe it or not they run into it more often than uniformed personnel simply because more people are likely to try someone in a very generic uniform than they are a proper displayed and properly worn and equipped uniform because they they simply misconstrue what they're dealing with now <clears throat> i know that sounds a little pitiful of an explanation and i apologize but the reality of it is private security overall is not taken nearly as serious as people would like it to be from our side of things because a lot of people don't understand how we operate now I'm going to be honest, there are companies out there that do not hold as high a standard as Templar, and there are even companies who specialize in other areas of private security and consultation that have even stricter policies than we do. Now, I'm not here to talk about the big hitters that are out there doing overseas contracts. We're not here to talk about mercenary work. That's not what Templar is about. We will one day expand to that if everything goes according to our five and ten year plans but primarily we focus here on our local markets and when we first began researching our local markets we wanted to know where we could bring more to the table than our competitors that being said folks we first researched in depth the training requirements to work as both an unarmed and an armed officer here in West Virginia as a private security contractor. And one of the things that stuck out for myself, my business partners, and the 
individuals who work with us behind the scenes planning our curriculum and our policies <clears throat> is that here in West Virginia, the requirements are overall very minimalist. There are states where things are a little stricter, but here in West Virginia, the baseline requirements for an unarmed security guard or security officer are simply that you are 18 years of age, that you have a GED diploma or high school diploma, and that you are of good moral character with no violent crimes or crimes that might be construed as moral deficiencies. And, of course, you're not allowed to be addicted to any type of mind-altering substance or alcohol, i.e. you're not allowed to be a drug addict or an alcoholic. And you'd be surprised how hard that is sometimes to find in a lot of those individuals who first look at attempting to enter into the private security world. Now, unfortunately, the more I look at these headlines, guys, the more I'm seeing profound abuse of use of force policy or a lack of a use of force policy. And what it boils down to for these companies, folks, is tragic losses of life and injury to not just the security personnel out there and the public safety professionals, but also to you, the consuming public. And, you know, it really is, in my opinion, when you start looking at those numbers and you start looking at the number of security personnel who are assaulted, killed, or who overstep their bounds because they don't have clearly defined policy, that you know, it's just, it's it's devastating to see for me as a professional of over 24 years, the lack of training standards and the lack of policy in place and enforced in so many different areas of the private security community. And for us... Here at Templar, when we were first planning our policies and we were first putting everything together, myself along with Mr. Sean Jones Jr. of Swansboro, North Carolina, Mr. Jones happens to be one of the owners. He is one of our business partners. He serves on the overall corporate structure as our senior technology officer on the security side where we are involved with Templar security specialists, Mr. Jones also serves not only as our acting captain, or current captain, I should say, Mr. Jones is also the director of our internal affairs division. And the reason we have that is to look at any and all complaints or negative situations that involve our personnel and our clients and make sure that anyone employed by Templar, whether it be on the corporate side, whether it be on the security side, or be it both, we want to make sure that our policies and the state rules and regulations that govern what we do have been followed to the letter. And there is no one better at picking a file apart than Mr. Jones, in my personal opinion. Now, guys, here's the thing. With Templar... Once we started looking at our competitors, we didn't just look up their website and, oh, well, they say this or, well, they say that. We actually went out 
physically and observed various security companies in this state. We're not going to name names. We weren't out there stalking them, guys. Sometimes observation didn't take us more than 20 minutes to see what we needed to see. And one of the biggest things we saw that just drove us mad was the lack of professional uniform standards. Because, I'm going to be honest with you, if if you walk into a situation in an improperly displayed uniform, an unkempt uniform, wrinkled, oversized, etc., poorly equipped, no one's going to take you seriously. If you walk up there automatically acting like a pit bull on a bone, forgive the analogy, I love pit bulls, it's just an expression, guys. Again, nobody's going to really take you seriously. They're going to be offended by the behavior, and that goes into deportment. And that's something we will talk more on later, but <clears throat> possibly not in this episode. That's going to depend on how long this runs for us to discuss the use of force. And to open that, I want you to understand the use of force we use in this industry and in law enforcement and every other means of security and public safety, whether they're sworn, whether they're federal, whether they're military, it doesn't matter. We have this great thing called the use of force continuum. And guys, the use of force continuum is a fascinating thing. It really is because for us, we have seven levels that we utilize here at Templar. And with that, you have our first level, which is level one. And that's officer's presence, guys. All that is is the security personnel are in plain view. They are right there in your presence. They are in full uniform. They are interacting with the public, whether it may be just simply a, hi guys, how you doing, or a nod, or a friendly wave as you enter a building or facility, but just simply seeing that officer there in a well-presented uniform is your first level of force, and what that is is it's a visual deterrent, guys. The average opportunistic criminal activity whether it's vandalism, whether it's petty theft, whether it's, you know, light property damage, they're going to think twice if they physically see security on present. On site and present, I should say, and I apologize, I stuttered a little bit there. Then you move into level two, which is verbalization or verbal commands. And that is literally just what it says. It is the security personnel giving directives. That could be, folks, I'd like you to go down this hallway and take a left, and if you proceed forward to the third door, you'll arrive where you need to be. Or, folks, I need you to please stop at the gate, check in, sign in. That's verbal. That's verbalization. That's your verbal commands. That's your level two use of force. And, folks, that's extremely important. It really is. It is extremely important that you speak clearly and that you maintain good eye contact. Use your hands or the tips of your fingers to point in general directions if need be to help people understand what's going on without being overtly hostile in appearance or demeanor. Then comes level three or soft hands. Now, soft hand use of force is 
exactly again just like it sounds but some people won't understand what we mean by soft hands so i'm going to break it down a little bit soft hands is taking the tips of your finger or the palm of your hand and applying gentle guiding pressure that is you know you might lay the tips of your fingers on someone's elbow to guide them down a particular walkway or you might gently lay an open hand on someone and steer them where you need them to go you're not there to get overtly handsy if you don't have to and i know handsy might not be the best word but i don't want you know when i say your soft hand techniques i don't want you closing your grip i don't want you thinking that that's oh i'm going to grab hold of you and jerk you around because it's not we're simply using our hand in a guiding manner we're not trying to inflict any sort of discomfort pain or injury at that point and that's something people need to understand once they once that security officer takes even the tips of their fingers you have already escalated to the third level of force now you're almost halfway there to the end of the game guys there's only seven levels in our use of force continuum from level three we move into level four and level four guys is hard hands hard hands are the security personnel making rough possibly damaging physical contact with an individual to prevent said individual from performing a particular action that is physically restraining someone guys that is i've grabbed you by the pressure points in the elbow or i've grabbed you by the bicep or tricep the upper arm or i've grabbed you roughly by the shoulder the shirt collar whatever may be the case to prevent you from taking any further physical action to injure someone to damage our property to make an escape or attempted escape should we be caught in the act of a detainable offense or an arrestable offense in the state of west virginia where obviously at this point you no longer need to just talk to security you may in fact be well on your way to having a conversation with sworn law enforcement personnel from there we move into level five now i personally break level five down into two so with me there's eight levels of the use of force but for this discussion we're going to keep it at level five and that's going to be your chemical or electrical and what we mean by chemical or electrical that is your oc spray your pepper spray or your neuromuscular your conducted energy weapon and i.e. your taser or in the case of Templar Strategic and Templar Security Specialist, the phaser enforcer. That's the 50,000 volt, hi, how you doing with the electric darts. It hurts, guys. Believe me, I've had to take the certification training multiple times. It hurts a lot. It will lock you up. It will make you regret your decisions for a few seconds. OC spray is horrible because, let me tell you, if it gets in the eyes and the membrane and the nose and the mouth... It will make you choke, sneeze, it will make your eyes burn. It's just awful, guys. And again, level five, that, that chemical or electrical option, whether we go with the conducted energy weapon or we go with the OC spray, you know, we're not just going to pepper spray you because you're being mouthy. Okay, you've presented a direct physical threat, and we are at a point where just taking hold of you may not be enough. 
we may have already taken hold of you. We may have already used hard hand grappling and strikes, and it was ineffective. At that point, we are going to either pepper spray you or tase you. Now, guys, from there, you know, you got to also understand, you might even have pulled a baseball bat or a length of wood or some other blunt striking weapon, and that earns you the pepper spray or that earns you a ride on the taser or the phaser but you may pull a knife or a gun and you may still simply get pepper sprayed or fa or introduced to a conducted energy weapon and that's because it's all about how far do we have to go to stop the threat it's not about oh i want to hurt you oh i want to cause you injury oh i want to inflict pain at an unnecessary level it's simply that we want to use just enough force to stop the threat that's that's the whole purpose of the use of force continuum guys is to moderate what we do and how far it has to go physically in order to regain control of the situation and end whatever potential threat may be there now from moving forward from there if our oc spray or our phaser has been ineffective okay let's say we pepper sprayed you and you didn't go to choking and spitting and sneezing and suffering the effects of the oc spray or we hit you with the conducted energy weapon and you went down for a second or maybe you didn't go down at all you kept coming at that point our next our next option is blunt force or impact force and <clears throat> that's level six for us and level six for us guys is going to be the baton or potentially sap gloves basically it is simply put and best worded the security officer using a baton or a similar bludgeoning device to prevent an individual from performing a particular action you know blunt forces authorized only under the immediate threat of serious injury or death meaning if you've popped out a knife and we tried the oc we tried the phaser or the taser you're still coming we're going to pop out that 20 to 20 that 21 to 26 inch baton or we're going to pick up a six cell mag light and we're going to start making it hurt okay Obviously, because this is a public podcast, I'm not going to go as far in depth as to where we do or don't strike with the batons or other striking tools, but I'm going to tell you we're going to make it count, guys. Now, there are actually rules to that tool, with just like every other tool. There are places we will not hit you if there is any other way to go about it. We will do everything in our power to preserve life, but we once that baton comes out we're not there to simply talk we're there for the fight we're there to regain control and we're there to stop you the aggressor from doing anything more than getting on the ground and going in handcuffs guys that's that's where that's at at that point now ladies and gentlemen we're going to look at the most delicate topic and the most delicate topic here guys is level seven okay level seven is lethal force and it is the last ditch effort folks and i mean that it is our absolute last ditch effort once we have exhausted all other means or 
we are in a situation where none of the previous six levels are adequate or appropriate to stop the threat and to preserve the life and well-being of the general public as well as our personnel. We come into lethal force. Guys, lethal force is not something we take lightly. Lethal force means just that. You hear so many people talk about, oh, well, security could have shot them in the knee, or security could have shot them in the shoulder, or the police could have shot them in the knee, or the police could have shot them in the shoulder. Guys, that's not how this works. Okay, our firearms, our officers issued firearms, our armed guards, our armed security officers are not trained to shoot for the knee. They're not trained to shoot for the wrist. They're not trained to shoot from the shoulder. Guys, this is not an Old West gunfight on TV. This is a fight for your life. And we're playing for keeps. We're trained to shoot for large, vital areas. We're taught to shoot in a manner that does not just incapacitate the target, but ends that target. We are trained to literally point and fire in a manner with a targeting that is designed to do maximum damage to the recipient. And unfortunately, guys, that's a situation that is far too real. And people first start out in this industry, a lot of them get angry with us at Templar. They got angry with myself at the agencies that I worked at previously. Because one of the recommendations I made at previous employers and we've implemented as a policy here at Templar is that you will work one full calendar year or demonstrate one full year of armed experience, verifiable armed experience with another employer, plus complete our course of fire, which is 100 rounds, 50 rounds day, 50 rounds night, with a minimum passing score of 85, you'll shoot 25 yard, as far out as 25 yards during the day and as far out as 15 yards at night under a West Virginia Department of Justice firearms instructor. And you'll do that every six months. Every six months you have to maintain an 85 or higher to carry a firearm for, the, for Templar Strategic Solutions or Templar Security Specialists. That's not because we want you to be some super soldier out there able to bust out these random shots like the rifle shot that we've seen all over Facebook where the police officer was able to take down an aggressor at 188 yards with a single shot. We just want you to be on your A game. We want you to be accurate and we want you to be highly proficient and highly skilled because in all truth, folks, I'm not worried about the liability concerns as far as monetary. I'm worried about the emotional liability that that's going to put my officer under. I'm worried about the emotional burden, the psychological burden that it's going to put our people under when they finally have to send that round downrange. And more importantly even than that, in certain respects... If one of my guys or women, guy, you know, any one of our personnel, men or women, and I'm sorry I keep saying my guys, it's just an expression, folks, but if one of our personnel t 
takes ready aim on an individual with their sidearm and they have to let that round fly. I want it to go where it needs to go, not into a civilian. I don't want them to miss. I don't want there to be ricochets. I don't want the general public put in harm's way because of something that one of our officers had to do. I want that officer to be able to go home at the end of their shift physically in one piece. I want the public to know that when a Templar officer walks up and they're carrying a firearm, they don't just have Johnny-come-lately that met West Virginia's minimalist standards, but met some of the highest standards in the state. And the reason I say that, folks, is because I want people to understand we're there to handle that problem. We're there to be a part of your community. But don't ever underestimate how seriously we take being your front line. We're your first response in an emergency on your property. And we want to be able to, without any question, <clears throat> be able to handle that situation at whatever level it has to be in a high proficiency and do so quickly, cleanly, and with minimal collateral impact. You'll notice I didn't say collateral damage, I simply said collateral impact. The reason I say that is because collateral damage isn't a big enough word. Collateral impact says a lot more. It tells you, for those that don't understand, how heavy the load really is on everybody involved in a situation when use of force comes into play. Now guys, when I talk about our use of force policy, people wonder why I am so proud of it and why I was so adamant that we have a clearly defined use of force policy in place given the fact that we do provide armed and unarmed security. And I'm just going to be very blunt, okay? We discussed the minimal standards in the state of West Virginia for an individual to qualify as a private security guard under the employee of someone else's license. Now, guys, let's look at what it takes to be an armed guard here in the state of West Virginia. For those unfamiliar, a couple years ago, West Virginia officially became a constitutional carry state. That means that here in West Virginia, an individual at the age of 18 may carry a sidearm open carry, meaning they can't cover it. 18 years old, they can strap their pistol on their hip and they can walk anywhere a pistol is allowed without any repercussions. Once they turn 21, they can legally conceal their weapon without a permit. Now, the problem with that for me, guys, is the state of West Virginia only mandates as far as formal training for an armed security guard to my understanding, and believe me, I've read everything the Secretary of State's website provides and then some, the only training requirement mandated by the state of West Virginia is that an armed guard meet the same requirements as an 18-year-old unarmed security guard, except for the fact they have to be 21, and they must have a carry-conceal permit. 
That's it, guys. An armed guard in the state of West Virginia, the primary requirement as far as education is that they have a carry conceal permit. Now, that would be great to a point, and I say that because obviously if you take the carry conceal handgun course in any state, you learn about what types of properties, buildings, etc. you are allowed to carry a concealed weapon in under your permit. And you, of course, learn more about the use of force when it's acceptable to go lethal and when it's not acceptable to go lethal. But the thing being is this is a constitutional carry state, and I'm not going to call anybody out because that's not who I am. Trust me, I report the ones that I'm worried about to our local sheriff's department and or the state of West Virginia as it needs to be when it comes to carry conceal instructors. But guys, here's the bear of it, all right? The bear of it is that there are a lot of unscrupulous concealed carry firearms instructors out there who will, for the normal... $50 fee here in West Virginia. It's either $50 or $55 now for the class. You simply issue your certificate. And then you go to your county sheriff and you pay the $50 or $100, whatever it happens to be now. I believe my carry conceal permit, which is good for five years, was four or five years, was $55 or $56. Cost me about the same as my notary commission here in West Virginia. But, you know, the only real purpose behind my carry conceal permit now that we're constitutional carry is so that I'm able to travel out of state to those states to grant reciprocity and, of course, to serve in an armed capacity when performing a security contract for a client. Now, the thing being is also you want to look at the fact that with our range, Again, as I indicated, our day shoot is up to 25 yards, and there's 50 rounds involved. Our night shoot is more or less the same, except it only goes to 15 yards. Again, it's another 50 rounds, and your combined score must average no less than 85%. But for a carry concealer, the only shooting involved with most of those is a very minimal qualification round. Some people do 15 to 20 rounds and have a setting, a score set, of course, for that. But they're only shooting an average of 10, 5 to 10 yards away from the target. And while they're not wrong in saying 5 to 10 yards is about where you're going to be in the average gunfight, that does not demonstrate a sufficient proficiency, in my opinion, for an individual to carry a firearm on duty. And that's why we have our training implemented, and that's why we are so strict about our training standard in the use of force. Now, to help you understand the general provisions of our use of force policy, and for the record, guys, I want to pause for just one second before we discuss those general provisions. Our entire use of force policy, which is six pages long, plus a couple of addendums that have been added in 
that our officers must review and sign prior to going to their first live post. This is something they cover within their first 10-hour fundamentals training. This entire policy was drafted <clears throat> by Mr. Sean Jones, who, again, as I pointed out, serves as our captain and our director of internal affairs on the security side of things and serves as our senior technology officer on the corporate side. And our general provisions are actually very basic. And the general provisions are the deployment of less than lethal inca incapacitating weapons, our OC, our phaser, our baton, etc., should be carefully evaluated in order to minimize the risk of endangering uninvolved persons, and the use of such weapons should be carefully controlled. TSS personnel in carrying out their duty shall, as far as possible, apply nonviolent means before resorting to the use of force or firearms. Whenever the lawful use of force and firearms is unavoidable, TSS shall a. Exercise restraint in such an act in proportion to the seriousness of the offense and the legitimate objective to be achieved. b. Minimize damage and injury and respect and preserve human life. c. Ensure that assistance and medical aid are rendered to any injured or affected persons at the earliest possible moment. I can't hammer that one down enough, guys. Ensure that assistance and medical aid are rendered to any injured or affected persons at the earliest possible moment. That means the minute the threat is stopped, our first call is to EMS, law enforcement, and those responders necessary to make sure that everyone is treated for any potential injuries. Four. Where injury and or death is caused by the use of force and firearms by TSS personnel, they shall report the incident promptly to their superiors in accordance with company policy. What that means is first you call ambulance and sworn law enforcement and then you call your supervisors and your supervisors in turn call the upper chain, which is myself, Assistant Chief Bays, Lieutenant Love, or Captain jones and we move forward from there because the minute we have a situation like that obviously we want all hands on deck because this is not just a matter of let's go make money guys this at this point is a matter of oh my heavens there's been an injury someone's lost their life whatever the case may be we're now moving in because we're now going in as the support team we're there to make sure that a our client is good b our team is good and see any and all bystanders are taken care of. And we're not there to intimidate anybody. We're not there to scare anybody. We're there to help. And then five, in our, our fifth provision there is exceptional circumstances such as political instability, civil unrest, natural disaster, terrorist attacks, or any other public emergency may not be invoked as an excuse to justify any departure from these basic principles. We don't care if it's a hurricane. We don't care if it's a tornado. We don't care if there's some political hoopla going on or civil unrest. You know, you still, we expect our guys to still follow our policy and to follow our use of force. 
Why? Because, again, we're there to preserve life and property. We're not there to simply play Rambo. And, you know, again, we make our people sign all of these documents, verifying that they've reviewed them and they understand them and to hold the, and that they're aware that they will be held accountable. Okay, from there, guys, there is something outstanding in our policy that I want everyone aware of when it comes to Templar Strategic Solutions and Templar Security Specialists, and that is a very particular clause within our use of force policy. We actually have a see something, say something clause, and... That reads as follows, and yes, I'm going to read that more or less verbatim for you guys. All TSS personnel are not only encouraged, but obligated morally, civilly, and by duty to directly intervene to their fullest capacity in the case of witnessing violations of the use of force protocol, excessive use of force, or unlawful use of force, or any other uses of force which violates the Constitution of the United States, federal, state, or local laws, or company policy. Violations of the above are to be promptly reported to a superior at the earliest possible moment. Section 2. All TSS personnel, regardless of rank or position within the company, found to be intentionally concealing violations of the use of force protocol, whether it be to protect themselves or a fellow officer, shall be immediately terminated and possibly subject to civil or criminal charges. The officer in question found to be concealing said violations will be held at equal fault with the one they are protecting. What we mean by that is we don't care if you are a chief. We don't care if you are rank and file. If you violate our use of force policy and you witness this violation and do not do everything within your power reasonably so to intervene to put a stop to it and report it and you intentionally work to help cover up that snafu to cover up that misuse of force then to, in our eyes you are just as guilty you are an accomplice to that assault you are an accomplice to that potential murder and we're going to hold you to that we're going to hand you over at the same time we hand everybody else over to the sworn law enforcement officers to do what they do. And we're going to cooperate 110% with any and all investigations in regards to that, regardless of how it may make you as an employee or individual look in court. Because, again, we're not worried about how it makes you look if you violate that policy and you go out there and intentionally hurt people. We're going to hold you to, to a full accounting. And if you try to hide it, you're an accomplice, you're an accessory, you need to answer for your part of that criminal act the same as anyone else. Provision 3 of that See Something, Say Something clause Internal Affairs reserves the right to investigate any and all reports. Those being investigated will be required to surrender any and all company-issued weapons, tools, or equipment, as well as any company or state-issued identification cards or documents which indicate that they are actively employed or authorized to serve in any capacity as a security officer for TSS 
and will be put on administrative leave with or without pay until the investigation is concluded. And the reason we say with or without pay is it's really going to depend on what's gone wrong. Let's say I go out and I'm on a site somewhere, I encounter a trespasser, I go to ask them to leave, we get into a little bit of a shoving contest, and they come out on the short end of the stick. And maybe I went as far as hard hands, and I used a palm strike or a closed fist strike to a major muscle group like the pectoral or the bicep or right into the ball of the shoulder in order to gain compliance. And then the subject, because they were offended that the quote-unquote rent-a-cop gave them a couple lumps, they decided to file a complaint with corporate. Well, unfortunately, it doesn't matter at that point that I'm the chief security officer. What matters at that point is the complaint came in, and whether it be the assistant chief, whether it be the lieutenant, whether it be the captain, somebody other than me took that complaint because obviously I can't take the complaint because it involves me. But the minute that complaint came in, comes in, it goes to Captain Jones. And Captain Jones is then tasked with interviewing the subjects, looking at my reports, interviewing me. At that point, my rank doesn't matter because it's Captain Jones's show. Captain Jones is our Director of Internal Affairs. It's his job to get to the bottom of it. And I have to abide by what he, the lieutenant, the assistant chief, and potentially our staff sergeant agree is the best course of action for that situation, guys. Why? Because let's just face reality. If I didn't hold myself to that same standard, then what good is it to have that policy that only affects everybody below me? But in the same respect, in a situation that simplistic, you know, somebody got a couple lumps on them because they wanted to get in a shoving contest and they were sent on their way and then they filed a complaint, it would be up to the other two owners and our senior instructor to sit down together and decide whether or not I needed, while I was on administrative leave, to forfeit my pay. And I would abide by whatever decision was made by their vote. Regardless of my personal feelings, it wouldn't matter. My, the, the point being, it would be a matter of what did the upper leadership think was best as far as their course of action while addressing this complaint and deciding whether or not it was one where the board of directors needed to sit down and ask me to step out of the chief's role. It doesn't mean that I would step out of my role as a security officer. It would simply mean that the assistant chief, the captain, or another designee would step into my role as the chief security officer, and I would step down from that highest position. I would still be the CEO and president of our parent company, the Templar Security Specialists parent company of Templar Strategic Solutions. I just simply wouldn't be the chief security officer anymore. I wouldn't be the officer, the senior officer in charge of all of our contracts. I would then revert back to simply being the qualifying agent under the LLC who hold the li holds the license, and I would be the security officer 
assigned wherever I got assigned, and I would defer to the rank structure on those posts. Now, as some people might think that, you know, oh, well, if a chief gets in trouble, he won't lose his pay. Trust me, guys, my people are very, very particular about how we do this job, and that's why I partnered with these people is because between myself, Assistant Chief Bays, and Captain Jones, we have a combined 30 to 35 years in this industry. And all three of us have seen what does and doesn't work. And we are very careful to emphasize removing the things we've encountered professionally that didn't work at other companies or other agencies from our standard operating procedures, whether it be training, whether it be how we run a contract. We take varied positions, and sometimes we don't all three agree. That's why we sit down and have owners' meetings when we need to change things beyond the field level. Now, we have two special provisions in our use of force policy that are, in my point, very important that people understand what we do and why we have these because we want you to understand why our use of force policy stands out among the best of the best and exceeds so many different levels, guys. Now, our first special provision is TSS personnel shall not use firearms against persons except in self-defense or defense of others against the immediate threat of serious injury and or death. To prevent the perpetration of a particularly serious crime involving grave threat to life, to detain a person presenting such a danger and resisting their authority, and only when less extreme options are insufficient to achieve these objectives. In any event, intentional use of firearms may, be made, may only be made when strictly unavoidable in order to protect life. That means we can only go lethal if we are trying to save our life or an innocent party's life. Or I should say an innocent third party. And that could be our client. That could be Joe Blow on the street that just happened to be walking by or coming onto our property as a guest. And as I say, we when it comes to our use of force, the only time we're allowed, you know, we agree that it is acceptable to go lethal is in the when there is no other way to stop this threat that if we don't stop that threat more you know other people are going to die or suffer catastrophic injury and by catastrophic injury i mean injuries that scar them for life physically mentally etc two in the circumstance in the circumstances provided for under principle 1 tss personnel shall identify themselves as such and give a clear warning of their intent to use firearms with sufficient time for the warning to be observed, unless doing so would unduly place the TSS officer at risk or would create a risk of serious harm or death to other persons, or would be clearly inappropriate or pointless in the circumstances of the incident. And what that means, guys, is we literally have to say, hey, security, we have to let you know we are security. Please, you know, we don't have to say please. We say stop or I will shoot, drop the weapon or I will shoot, etc. And the only time that's not going to work out is if they've already drawn and they've opened fire. Guys, we're not giving warning shots. 
We're going to shout, possibly. We're going to let them know to drop the weapon. But if they're already shooting at us, yeah, no, we're not giving warnings. We're just shooting back. That, that's how that works. And I know that's really a very blunt way to explain that, but the truth is the truth. Okay? And here are just, just a small section I want to review with you. We're not going to go into our firearms rules and regulations in this discussion, but I am going to share with you what is clear for authorized carry of a firearm under the Templar Security Specialists and Templar Strategic Solutions Use of Force Protocol or Use of Force Policy. TSS personnel shall only be permitted to carry firearms under the following circumstances. One, has a valid West Virginia concealed carry weapons license. B, has completed the TSS basic firearms training course. C, is an, on an armed contract with their post being cleared to carry. Meaning, And what we mean by post, guys, is every contract has various spots where an officer might be assigned or various sets of duties and that's your post whether it's the gate you know the the access gate or the roving patrol or maybe you're at an information kiosk somewhere that's your post that's where you're posted up to do your work that day and each individual post we know whether or not that officer should have a live firearm or not and if you're caught at that post without a lot with a live firearm and it's not been approved for that particular duty post, you're going to get your chops busted, you're going to catch a write-up, and you may even have your armed authorization revoked for a little while. Meaning we may stick you somewhere where we don't have to worry about you needing a gun for a minute. Because, again, we're not out there to play games, we're not out there to jeopardize people's well-being or their lives. Then comes Section D or Line forward. And that is the condition uh, or circumstance is using the company range for training or in another company training environment where firearms have been approved. That means, let's say, a senior officer on the armed division comes in to observe a training class for a group of new hires. Of course, we're not going to expect that armed officer, especially if he's just getting ready, if he's got a post to go to after he gets done sitting into that class, or he's there to meet his new team that will be moving on to the armed training, we don't, we're not going to say a lot about him carrying his firearm because that's part of his uniform. That's his issued equipment. Or let's say we're all getting together for range day. You know, if you're going to a firing range, whether it's one we've leased out for training or it's a range owned by Templar Strategic Solutions or Templar Security Specialists, Obviously, you're allowed to carry your firearm there because it's on you for training purposes. We have other safety guidelines for the range. We'll discuss those at a later time, folks. Now, to go back, I want to look at our overview for a few minutes, and then I'll wrap this up. The entire purpose of the Templar Strategic Solutions Use of Force Protocol is to provide all Templar Strategic Solutions personnel with a concise and comprehensive rule set for the use of force. The use of force will be defined as the means of compelling compliance or overcoming resistance to a TSS security officer's commands in order to protect life, property, 
or take a person into deten detention or to detain them, take them into custody. RTSS personnel are subject to this protocol regardless of, but not limited to, rank, title, tenure, gender, post, level of training, etc. Deviation or violation of this protocol will be met with immediate and severe consequence. All use of force reports designated at level 3 or above will be investigated by Internal Affairs, although Internal Affairs reserves the right to investigate any use of force incident for any particular reason. We, Templar Strategic Solutions LLC, in developing such rules and regulations, shall keep the ethical issues associated with the use of force and firearms constantly under review, thus this protocol is subject to change should the need arise. We will also develop a range of means as broad as possible to equip TSS personnel with various types of weapons and ammunition that would allow for di differentiated use of force and firearms. This will include less, less than lethal incapacitating weapons for use in appropriate situations with a view to increasingly restraining the application and <clears throat> the application of me of means capable of causing death or injury to persons to increasingly restraining the application of means capable of causing death or injury to persons for the same purpose and in appropriate situations TSS personnel will be equipped with self-defensive equipment such as shields, helmets, protective vests, bullet-resistant means of transportation in order to decrease the need to use weapons of any kind. And yes, guys, I know I repeated that line a couple times. I apologize again. I stuttered. I got hung. I hope you had a good laugh at that part because it proves I'm human. I trip over my own words. It happens. You would be amazed how in-depth some of our policies are and how much time I have spent reviewing them, writing them, or working in tandem with Captain Jones and our other leadership team in order to make sure that Templar has the best possible policies out there to serve our clients and to serve you know, our personnel as well. Because beyond any measure, guys, I'm sorry, let's just cut to the bone. Beyond any other measure, folks, the key to success is not just training but the application of proper training. And in order to train people well, you must have well-written, well-founded, and well-researched policies. Now guys, I know that we've spent almost an hour discussing the use of force and why Templar does it differently. And I'm sure this hasn't been our most interesting podcast. I hope those of you that held with us throughout this policy understand that the reason we had this discussion today is because I want you as the consuming public to understand how it works. As always, guys, if you have any questions at all, our phone lines are always open at 304-591-9787, or you can throw us an email at info at TemplarStrategicSolutions.com, or jump over to the website at TemplarStrategicSolutions.com. You'll find a great deal of information. You'll also find our e-commerce link, which will supply you, give you access to our Templar Strategic Solutions branded coffee, as well as an assortment of safety and 
self-defense equipment, a few small gifts here and there, and other similar items. We look forward to hearing from you. Thanks for sticking with us this long, guys. Hope you have a great day. Stay safe out there, folks.